This is the Darcy Giroux Podcast, episode 20. Today my guest is filmmaker Jimmy Morrison. We're going to be talking about his movies on how central banking and inflation cause bubbles, like the housing bubble. Jimmy Morrison, welcome to the Darcy Giroux Podcast. How are things? Things are good, Darcy. Thanks for having me on. Well, we've been uh, trying to do this for a long time. Well, we've been trying to get together for a long time. The podcast is pretty new, but uh, I, I'm really glad we were able to make it work now. Yeah, I'd say it was a, a three-year process to, to get here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, when we talked the first time, I don't think either of us anticipated all the COVID uh, stuff was right around the corner, like within a month of us talking about screening your movie up here in Canada. I guess some of the listeners probably might not be familiar with you. Your film the on the housing bubble in the United States was excellent. Can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and a bit about that movie? So in 2006, I dropped out of college to pursue film. And the way that I intended on doing that was uh, I started a house painting business. And I thought if I could make money with my house painting business, that would give me the flexibility uh, to get started in film and uh, start turning a script that I'd written in, into a movie. Um, and so the, the good thing about it was uh, I was right. It gave me the flexibility I needed. You know, I, I made some money. Um, but the bad thing was I literally started that painting business the month that house prices peaked. So I watched the housing crash unfold, not from the perspective of a homeowner, but from somebody that, my, you know, my income relied on those homeowners taking out home equity loans uh, to pay me these uh, high wages to be painting. Um, and so I, I, I had studied economics in college and I decided that uh, in 2008 and 2009, I decided I wanted to learn more about it and get back into it. And I wasn't planning on going back to school. It was just more something I was interested in. And so that's what I wanted to learn about. Um, but I searched for economics and the book, uh, the audio book, Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt came up. Uh, the Mises Institute had put it out as a free audio book. And so I listened to this while I was painting a house. And I'm, I'm hearing his words that he wrote in the 1940s. And I'm just like, holy cow, this guy's like describing what we've gone through. Uh, and it gave me the idea, like, if there are people out there that predicted this, why not track them down and make a documentary about it? And so one thing led to another. I ended up teaming up with Tom Woods, who had written a New York Times bestseller uh, on the financial crash. Um, and then I ended up driving over 35,000 miles uh, interviewing all these people. And it's everything from economists to uh, investors. And, you know, Ron Paul is in the film. Uh, the big investors are like Jim Rogers, uh, Doug Casey, uh, Jim Grant, who gets a mention in the big short, uh, is in the film. Um, and so it, it, it was a, amazing to have this experience of taking these people that have these uh, ideas about the economy and how it works. Um, and trying to figure out a way to make it accessible to the general public because nobody wants to like watch an economics lecture. That, that's not true. There are, there are a lot of us out there that do, but like they're, they're called nerds. Yeah. Right. The general public is, is, is missing out on what us nerds are learning about. And so what we ended up doing is 
we spent a lot of time trying to make everything as simple as possible. You know, like we're not learning vocabulary words uh, in this process, in this documentary. Um, but what we do do is we use humor and cartoons um, and stuff like that. You know, The Daily Show, Jon Stewart, South Park, all these things from pop culture that people already know and relate to. Uh, and we found a way to tell the story of the housing bubble um, uh, with, with, with that in mind. And so it allows people to like watch it and enjoy it. Um, and then sit down with their family and friends and be like, oh, well, you know, I thought that part didn't make sense. I disagree with that, but I did agree with all, with these other things. Um, and so then when people want to, uh, share these ideas with their friends and family, if they've watched this film, they can have conversations with those people that are actually about, Austrian economics and actually about the Federal Reserve creating money and bank bailouts and all this stuff in gold and silver and Bitcoin, uh, like they, they can have those conversations knowing that the other person at least has this foundation of knowing what some of these ideas are. And they can actually talk about, like I said, the things they disagree about. And so that, that really was the idea behind the film was I didn't want to get caught up in the next housing bubble, you know, and I figured other people don't want to get caught up in the next whatever the bubble is. Um, so we wanted to give people the tools that uh, they, they'd be able to uh, avoid that. And uh, I think as we've seen the last few years, like maybe you just can't avoid it. So like, <laughs> this has just been crazy with ha everything that's unfolded. Um, I definitely, I spent the last 10 years wondering like, you know, how are they going to explain this next crash? You know, like, how are they going to be able to, like, point the finger at somebody? It's like, oh, well, it's the virus's fault. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it ended up they, they had their scapegoat. They ended up having a scapegoat they could point to. Well, they, they definitely uh, used the virus to stop you and I from screening your film in Calgary, Alberta. A couple yeah, of years we were ago. all we were all set in 2020 <laughs> to go up there and do a screening, and uh, we had screenings planned in like Colorado and Memphis, and uh, our our film came out on Blu-ray December 2019. So uh, we were all set to go out and get out there and promote it, um, but uh, we we didn't let them keep us down. Uh, we've had sales in over 70 countries and all 50 states and uh, all the provinces in Canada. Um, so we're, we're getting the film out there, even though we haven't been able to do it on the road as much as we'd like. And now, now that, uh, people are doing more screenings and everything, it, it it's going to be nice to be on the road and, and get out there. Unfortunately, I haven't made it up to Canada yet. Um, but in, when we were making the movie, actually my first interview, uh, with Mark Faber, I shot in Montreal. Um, and then, uh, I went to a Mises Institute of Canada event in, uh, Toronto, I want to say in 2015 might have been 2014 so this project has been going on for a while as, as you can tell um but we sh we showed some clips uh from the film at that point um and uh it, it's it's you know it's it's something that i have a lot of like uh you know it is my fault that it took me so long to get the film out um, but on the other hand, it was because uh, we were making two films at the same time. We're going to have a sequel coming out, uh, hopefully in the next year. Um, and I, I'm, I wouldn't change it if I had to go back because the extra time that we put into it is what makes it so much easier for people to understand. And, you know, 
we really made every word count in the film. Yeah, um, yeah, so for that's, sure. That's, that's my my uh, little excuse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so first of all, I mean, I really enjoyed the first film, the the housing bubble. I recommend all the listeners to check it out. We'll we'll post some links in the show notes and stuff so that people can get their hands on it if they haven't seen it. Um I'm not sure I I'm not sure that the Mises Institute of Canada is still a thing anymore, which is really too bad. Um oh, that, that is too bad. Yeah. yeah I I uh, I'm a big fan of the Mises Institute. But let's talk about the next film. I imagine all the same players are appearing. Is Tom Woods still involved? I'm sure some of the listeners would like to know that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he he co-wrote both films uh, with me. Um, And then, uh, yeah, it's the same cast. And really what we were trying to do is uh, we wanted to convey uh, the core ideas of what, you know, of not creating money, not bailing out banks, you know, uh, the fact that, uh, interest rates should be based on savings and uh, not on just creating money out of thin air. Um, we wanted to convey those things in both films. So I feel like you can come away from either film, you know, knowing uh, our core principles. Um, but what the second film does is it takes it from 2008 and brings it up to 2020. So the first film looks at the run up to the housing bubble and even goes back to like the Great Depression and going off of the gold standard completely in the 70s. Um, and brings it all the way back up to 2008. And then the second film starts with the bank bailouts in 2008 and brings it all the way up to the beginning of uh, the madness in 2020. Um, so I think uh, it's something that people are, are going to gain a lot of wisdom from because like, it was one thing to look at the run-up to the housing bubble and, and get the lessons from that, um, but they've really com- changed uh, so much about the system since then where like, they, they didn't call things quantitative easing before 2008, you know, and the Federal Reserve wasn't going out and buying insane amounts of mortgage securities and, uh, and treasury securities where they just, you know, the ba- people think of the bank bailouts and the mortgage bailouts of 2008, but it really didn't stop. You know, they built it into the system where that stuff was happening the last 10 years. And every time they, you know, they promised the entire time that they were one day going to stop doing that once everything was stable and they'd be able to sell all that stuff back into the market. And every time they tried the last 10 years, like they backed off very quickly. Um, and, and that's kind of the stage we're at right now, uh, where people are, uh, you know, they're allowing rates to rise a little bit, but they, um, you know, if, if they actually tried to, if they did what they did to stop the inflation in the, at the end of the 1970s, early 80s, um, they said they didn't just raise rates uh, a tiny bit. What they said was, we're going to stop printing money and bailing out the system and allow rates to go where they need to go. And, uh, you know, we're not anywhere close to that. So if they, w- there's so much more debt now that if they even tried to raise rates a few percent, the federal government would end up having, you know, all their, uh, all their revenues going to just paying interest on the debt. And so it's, it, it's really a completely unsustainable system. And that's, I think that's what we've seen since 2020 is, uh, you know, it, everybody thought things were just going to go on forever like that. And, you know, one little problem comes around and then uh, suddenly we realize the house of cards is falling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of people too don't realize that 
I mean, they're seeing the impact of inflation now. Here in Canada, it's terrible. Like uh, inflation and supply chain issues, uh, all all this terrible stuff is just the the economy's taking a terrible beating right now. But I think a lot of people don't realize like this isn't something that just materialized in the last couple months. It's not something that uh, politicians like the current establishment is responsible for over the last six months or something like that. It's just only now we're seeing the effects of it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's it's really people, people the nice thing about the first film ending uh, in 2008 is it showed the run-up uh, and Keynesian economics, they always point to like what happens during the bust and saying, oh, they just didn't manage things right, you know? Whereas Austrian economics says, no, the problems were created during the boom phase. And so it's kind of, I, I kind of like the fact that not only did we end the movie there, like we're just, we're not even getting into that stuff until the second movie. Um, but, but yeah, I think it, it's easy to, to see the bust and just say, oh, I'm, you know, this is the problem. But all these malinvestments, all these distortions from having interest rates lowered to 1% uh, in the early 2000s, um, you know, we saw the outcome of that in 2008. And now, uh, the last 10 years, they pushed interest rates essentially down to zero for almost a decade. And so, like, you know, if you're going to college, your entire uh, life that you remember, you know, it's just been that way where interest rates have been nothing. And, you know, this encourages people to go out and spend and not save their money. So no wonder households didn't have any savings when they went into a pandemic is because that's what the government's been trying to do there. That's what they're trying to encourage. And uh, it, yeah, it's unsustainable. No, it, it's totally unsustainable. Um, it's, there's an interesting situation in Canada where, and sorry, I'll keep going back to Canadian stuff because all, all the listeners are Canadian. Um, and I, I try and relate these things back to uh, Canadian issues. There are a lot of parts of Canada that weren't affected during the housing crash like, like the American economy was affected. Like Canadian housing prices slowed down, there was a recession, but it didn't have that, you know, like 50% drop in different areas that, that you saw in the States. I think your movie does a good job of describing that. It's actually about, uh, you know, just that access to easy, cheap money printed out of nothing, and the Federal Reserve in the States and the Bank of Canada in Canada are what are primarily responsible for that. Um, what's your take on that? Uh, leading up to 2008, uh, a lot of government regulations and uh, a lot of stuff with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that we get into in the film uh, we're diverting money into housing. But like you said, it, it's the actual money that's being created that's lowering interest rates. That's, um, you know, the main culprit for this. That's what I, uh, that's the biggest lesson I, I gained from these documentaries, I think. Um, and, and so, yeah, like since 2008, everything they've been doing has been to stop house prices from falling. And so, like, of course we're in a more unsustainable spot now because like they've literally been creating, you know, uh, you know, three, four times as much money as they were leading up to the housing crash. 
but this time they're actually buying the mortgage security. The banks and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, are packaging up uh, uh, mortgages into securities, and then the Federal Reserve just creates money and buys those. So of course, house prices just keep going up. Um, but uh, I think like, like what you're saying with Canada, when I was there seven years ago, Toronto was already like, I thought, oh man, this is clearly a bubble. Like, you know, you're getting ads at Subway about like going out and being a realtor and stuff. And, um, that was seven years ago. So, uh, but, uh, I, I think what's scary is like what you said is Canada didn't go through those 50% drops. Um, you know, in, in the U S it was 30% across the country, but then in certain cities like Las Vegas, you know, uh, it went down by 50%. And so the, the fact of the matter is if Toronto goes down 50%, like, a lot of people are going to be hurt and and there's a human told this stuff you know it's not just people are losing a bunch of money it's you know people's lives are destroyed and um it's it's a really terrible thing to see it it is a terrible thing to see it it's hard for me sometimes to not uh well well part of me wants you to get this second movie out right away like we talked about earlier because i want us to be able to say you know look we told you so uh, but at the same time, yeah, the human impact is is awful. I mean, you families are destroyed, uh, people are destroyed. I mean, the rate of suicide is increased exponentially when crashes like this this happen. I want to get into your what you're just talking about: the Federal Reserve creating money and the fact that this stuff is still going on leads us into. I don't, and I don't know a, a lot about your next film, but I know it's called The Bigger Bubble, and I have a feeling that it is representing the economy as a whole, and the fact that it's kind of on this footing of sand. Right, right. It's not just housing. You're right. Yeah. You know, some people call it the everything bubble, which is a, a good way of describing it. Um, but yeah, you know, if you if you keep interest rates at zero for a decade. And if you bail out the banks every single month, like you're going to shift wealth uh, to those people. And so, so yeah, the banks are bigger than they were before. Um, there's way fewer of them. Like the smaller banks got completely destroyed by all the regulations they passed with Dodd-Frank after the, after the crash, because like they can't keep up with all the paperwork and all the, you know, all the requirements. Um, so all this wealth has shifted to these bigger banks. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we get into the bailouts and um, I think what a lot of people don't realize looking back is, you know, there was like uh, the TARP bailouts is what they called it because there was this bill called TARP um, and it was a $700 billion bill and it got more, uh, you know, feedback from the public. Like more people called into their legislators than had ever, uh, than had ever happened before. Um, but it didn't matter. They passed it anyway. And people were outraged by that. But, you know, what do you do? They moved on. Um, but what I found doing my research for the documentary years later is the Federal Reserve was actually doing secret loans and bailouts of uh, almost two trillion dollars at this same period. And, you know, that stuff that wasn't in the news, like people didn't hear about that. And uh, what we've seen since is, OK, like, yes, this. uh a small group of people gets to decide which banks get bailed out and, and whatever. But now, in, uh, since 2020, in 2020, when the pandemic hit, 
the Federal Reserve didn't just create money and buy mortgage securities. They created money and bought uh, corporate bonds. And so now they're bailing out individual companies. Now they have a press conference and they say, by the way, these couple hundred companies, we just created a bunch of money and bought all their stuff to bail them out. And it's like, what kind of a world is that for an investor or somebody that, you know, what are you supposed to do? Just live each month waiting to hear the next Federal Reserve State and be like, oh, I better get into that. You know, it's just a terrible way to manage economy. And it's, it's very like uh, reminiscent of the Soviet Union. Like literally uh, 10 years ago, nobody gave a shit what the Federal Reserve said. Like, it's not like that was on covered on the news all the time. And, and now we're to the point where because of what's happened these last 10 years that we show in the film, um, uh, all of Wall Street and all of anybody that's managing money, that's what they have to be focused on. Like the next big thing is what is this person at the Federal Reserve going to say at this speech? The Jackson Hole conference is going on uh, this week. And like that's that's the market just went down uh, a bunch yesterday because of what a Federal Reserve person said in the speech and what he was saying was you know they're gonna let rates uh, go back up but he wasn't saying we're gonna let rates go up to what they need he's saying like we're gonna let them go up by a quarter of a percent um and so i i, I don't think it what they're doing is nearly enough like uh, the inflation that we've seen uh uh the rates are still negative when you take inflation into account so like you know they're they're still creating a bunch of money they're still like um you know, it, it, it had, we, they call it quantitative tightening instead of quantitative easing, but we really haven't seen any tightening yet. Like up to this point, they've allowed rates to go up just a couple percent, but they've still been buying mortgage securities and, and government securities. And, and the big question is who's going to buy these treasury securities and finance our deficit um, when, you know, the Asian countries like Russia and China aren't necessarily that high on our, our list of, of people that want to invest in us right now, you know, and like, there's just, there's nobody to replace it with after you've built an economy around creating trillions of dollars out of thin air for a whole decade and having interest rates at zero. Um, you know, the interest rate is a price signal that's trying to communicate information and, uh, it's just been completely wiped out for a decade. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll be the first person to say, like, I don't know the top, of how things are going to play out. Um, but I, th I think it's easy to say like, yeah, naturally, like there are going to be consequences to this. I think when people watch the bigger bubble, they're going to say, oh my God, how did these people get away with this? Like, this is common sense. When you watch the first film, you're not like, oh, this is Republican or this is Democrat. Like those aren't even words we use. People watch it and they say, oh, this is just common sense. So, like you have to save money uh, to be able to to lend it out to people like you can't just create it out of nothing and think that every project that you loan to is gonna gonna work out so in the past couple of years you've been doing this especially through covid a lot of people don't even realize that there was you know a big economic crash that coincided with the beginning of the pandemic that was kind of glossed over because of all the stuff that happened with the pandemic but there was a lot of these type of bailout things happening, and there was a lot of money printing that happened, you know, before the full effects of the pandemic hit. I guess I'm just curious, and with all the conversations you've had around 
this sort of stuff. Has anybody talked about that? Yeah, it, I, I, real quick, I want to point out that like the price inflation we're seeing actually started in 2019. And it's because in 2018, 2019, they had started to let rates go back up and then they gave up on it because the market went down a little bit. And so then they started bailing everything out like crazy again. Um, and, and so like people just assume like, oh, this all started with the pandemic in 2020. But like, um, yeah. Uh, so in, in 2020, when everything hit, they actually, in the U.S., they created uh, 43% of our GDP. That's how much money they created and just pumped that in the economy. So, so yes, they were able to prop up the stock market and keep the stock market bubble going. But it's just like a desperation move, you know, like everything is just the, it. 10 years ago, when I interviewed a lot of these people they, for the first time, they, they were saying like, as thought experiments, what, what if you just printed a bunch of money and gave it to people and they didn't work? You know, like they said as a thought experiment, what if we just took society, created a million dollars and gave it to each person? And it's just like, they tried it. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a million dollars for each person, but that's what they did. They thought, oh, we can just shut down an economy and turn it back on. And as we've seen, like, that's not how it works. You can't just turn it back on. And a good example I like to use is in the 1930s with the Great Depression, uh, they did a lot of tariffs um, on other countries. Um, and uh, what they couldn't calculate is if you put a tariff on a country for a certain good, you don't know what somebody's going to be making that, uh, in, you know, that they don't know what all these goods are made of, right? They can't see like all the supply chain stuff. So if, if they, for example, if the government's trying to decide if something's a, a business is essential or non-essential, they, they're not going to know that if they don't allow all these raw materials to be made, then down the line, you're not going to be able to uh, finish these other products. Like, that's something for entrepreneurs to be figuring out. Um, and uh, so I, th I think something that we saw with those tariffs is that that all backfired in the 30s. And it was a huge supply chain issue. And it's something that we've seen recently, obviously, um, that people are, are not having the raw materials that they uh, thought they'd have. And we're, you know, we're seeing the skyrocketing uh, cost of, of everything, but particularly raw materials. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, again, bring things back to the Canadian economy. I mean, our whole economy is based on raw materials. But let let's talk a bit more about your the movie that's coming out because I'm really excited about it. When is it? When is it going to be available? Uh, that is a great question, and I wish I had an. Answer. Um, no, we we started doing test screenings and. Uh, um, it, it's, it's really come together. The, I, I would say that, um, we'll probably provide some early access for people. Like we, we did a street team with the first film, um, where if you paid a little more, you could get early access before the movie came out. Um, and it's really beneficial for us because it allows us to get eyes on the film, um, and allows us to make final tweaks, you know, based on, on those tests. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping, uh, that uh i won't say by the end of the year but I'd, li I'd like to get the street team stuff going by by the beginning of next year um and then 
you know, well, we did our uh, premiere. We had our world premiere for the first film at Anthem Film Festival at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. Um, and then we released digitally with our New York City premiere. Um, and so the New York City premiere was really like our big release. Um, and this time with the bigger film, uh, the bigger bubble, we're going to probably do Austin instead of New York City. And I think that really just reflects how things have changed in the U.S. in the, in the last few years. Like, um, you know, these lockdowns have had drastic uh, uh, consequences for communities like New York City. And um, it's just it's not it doesn't have the uh, the allure that it that it used to as, as being the, the place to premiere your film. Everybody's in Austin, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, where everybody's that's right. going. My uh, my wife is convinced that uh, we should uh, emigrate to Austin, Texas. <laughs> Although, a little hotter. Yeah, a little hotter. <laughs> well, as far as as far as places in Canada go, though, I mean, Calgary, Calgary is a great town. Um, so, so the big news in the states right now is these student loan bailouts, which they've been on the table for a long time in political conversation. Again, it seems to me like there isn't money that exists to pay for them, uh, but they're moving ahead with this anyway. Can you talk a bit about what's going on there? Yeah, definitely. The, I mean, just right off the bat. Uh, it was just an executive order. You know, we just have a dictator deciding these things anymore. You know, everybody learns in school about how a bill becomes a law and, you know, Congress and the different branches and everything. And, you know, over the last century, that's just completely eroded to the point where it's just a guy, uh, you know, making an announcement. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think the student loan bubble uh, is a, a big factor of, uh, it, you know, it's a, a, a big part of what happens. It, it It's very similar uh, to the housing bubble in the sense that, like, the government created all this money and then they had government uh, guaranteed uh, organizations uh, like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. What we have in the States for uh, student loans is called Sally Mae. And it's the same thing. It's a government created organization. Um, and so it, in the past, all these banks... Uh, just like with the housing market, they didn't care if people couldn't pay back these loans because they were guaranteed by the government. Okay, so um, that that was a problem in and of itself uh, before Obamacare passed. But when Obamacare passed, ever since then, basically the last 12 years or whatever it was, um, the government itself has actually been creating almost all the loans. So over 90% of student loans are owned by the government because they've uh, either created them or bought them off of the banks. Um, so it, it, it's very similar to the housing bubble. Um, but just like, I don't think they should have bailed out homeowners and tried to prop up homeowners, uh, in the sense that let's say you're a young person with kids and you want a house. Like, yes, it's great that they saved the guy that had the, the house with the high house prices. But if you're trying to buy a house that completely screws you. So you're completely, you're shifting wealth from uh, some people in the economy to others. And so I think it's a very elitist thing to say that, uh, you know, we should bail out student loans when, you know, four fifths of all this bailout money is going to like the top two uh, quintiles of uh, income earners. That's you right. Know? It, I mean, it's and, and, and let me just say this too. I, 
if if we're being if we're being real about what goes on here, they're not bailing out like they never bailed out homeowners in the housing crash. E- even if they help people pay their mortgages, the they bailed out the banks. And, and in the same way, they're not bailing out people with student loan debt. They're bailing out these universities, right? Because they're ultimately it's the universities that stand to lose. I mean, the people with the student loan debt already has, or they already have their education. They already have the product that they haven't paid for yet. Right, which wasn't worth as much as they thought it was, just like their their house. Um, but yeah, they're bailing out the government because the government is the ones who own own all this, you know. And it, it's just uh, like, like you said, the the universities are the ones that benefit because now they can go out and. Get, do even more loans like they 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 capped uh what people have to re- repay uh to five percent instead of ten percent of their income so let's say uh you were gonna go be a doctor i mean this is an extreme example but let's say you're gonna go be a doctor because i can't because i can't be a doctor <laughs> <laughs> right uh but let's say you're gonna go borrow money to go to school but if you're gonna go borrow money to get an art degree then suddenly, if you're borrowing all this insane amount of money, you don't have to pay it back because you're only paying 5% of your income for a certain amount of years, and then the loan just goes away. So it creates all these extra incentives to shift people into different uh, different markets. Um, but what I was starting to say earlier is, like, it, this is very regressive. Like, poor people didn't go to college to begin with, you know, a lot of people like the people that became tradesmen and stuff like that, like wealth is being shifted from them to the people that went to college. And most of the student loan debt is people that graduated from college. So it's like, yes, like they manipulated the system to divert people into going to college, but you still made that choice. And I didn't like, I dropped out and worked my ass off to make the life that I've made. And, you know, uh, I, I certainly don't think they have the right to just uh, transfer wealth uh, to people that had, you know, you, the other thing is like they already got bailed out. Like the student loans to begin with, they weren't paying a regular interest rate. It was guaranteed by the government. And so it was a lower rate. Like, and while you were in college, like you didn't have to pay interest until six months after you got out of college because that stuff was being uh you know, taken care of. Like these are, these are people that already got a bailout by, you know, by doing it to begin with. And now they're getting an even bigger bailout. Um, so I, I think it's really funny that, uh, all the focus on social media is everybody saying, Oh, don't be mad that you paid off your student loans and you aren't getting the bailout. It's like, no, like that's so elitist to think like, those are the people that are complaining. It's, no, the people that didn't even go to college to begin with that have supposedly are making less money than you because you got your degree, you know, you're asking to shift wealth from them. And and yeah, they say, oh, we're just going to tax the rich people for it. It's like we have a over trillion dollar deficit. So no, you're not like we don't have the money. We're just creating it out of thin air. Like it's and, and then who has to pay the higher prices uh, with groceries and stuff from creating money? You know, the, the poor people are the ones that are going to be paying it through the inflation tax. Like, that's how, how it works. You create money to pay for these things. And then when prices go up, the last people to get that money 
those poor people, they're, they've been paying these higher prices and uh, they don't get any of these benefits. So I think this whole student loan thing is just so elitist and uh, it, it's, it's frustrating to see like um, the like how I, I don't know how uh, dismissive people are of like, oh, the only reason you would oppose this is because you paid off your loans. It's like, it's yeah. Ridiculous. You know, that's not a good argument because there are people like you and me who opposed the bank bailouts. Like we opposed bailouts on principle, right? And and it's uh so I think the argument is is skewed. Right. A and lot it, of the that's time. not that's not to criticize uh people that study art, you know. It's yeah. just Well you're you're don't spend two thousand dollars. Don't spend yeah, exactly. Uh and you know, as a filmmaker I looked at that and I thought I could spend $2,000 or whatever it was at the time for one class. And I could do that over and over again until I got a degree. Half of what I took was not going to be related to what I wanted to study. You know, it was all just like literally to get a business degree in economics, you had to have over 48 out of your 120 hours had to just be non-business classes. It's like, and you're paying over two grand per class to do that. So it, it, it's not that we're criticizing people for going into these fields. We're just saying like, hey, maybe the only reason you went and uh, took out all this money to, to do that is because you got government guaranteed loans. And if they took that out of the system, then the universities wouldn't be charging $2,000. You know, they'd, they'd be charging a lot less because nobody would be paying that. They, they Twenty dollars for an online an online class. You know right. what I mean? Like buy, buy my movie. It's only ten dollars. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so you learn do... more than you would for an, from an economics degree. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So actually, let's do that. Let's pitch uh, where people can find the original uh, housing bubble film. Yeah, if you go to thebubblefilms.com. Uh, we have the movie digitally. Uh, it's available on Vimeo. Um, and so if you go to thebubblefilms.com, you can click on digital or uh, you can order it on Blu-ray and DVD and we'll ship it to you. Um, but uh, uh, my production company website is letusdisagree.com. Uh, it's Let Us Disagree Productions. Um, and so we have like all the raw footage of interviews and, you know, tons of podcasts and all sorts of stuff there. Um, so there's a lot of content and resources out there that we have on our site. Um, but let us disagree.com and the bubble Awesome. Okay. Jimmy, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Yeah, this has been awesome. I'm glad we were finally able to connect and I look forward to doing a Canadian premiere soon. That was filmmaker Jimmy Morrison, creator of the housing bubble and the bigger bubble. You can check them out at LetUsDisagree.com. And if you like the Darcy Drill podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>